Welcome to the Independent Brokers Podcast. Your host, Joseph Goslin, interviews independent real estate brokers from around the country asking about all the things we all want to know, recruiting, commission breakdowns, lead generation, technology tools, and more. And now to the show. Welcome, everybody, to the Independent Broker Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Goslin, and today we have Brent. Brent, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Joseph. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Awesome. So Brent, you used to be a broker owner and now you're transitioned into helping other brokers more in a coaching kind of format. Is that correct? Yeah, more partnering. I work with several offices around the country. I'm a group of real estate leaders. We're in a big old community. Awesome. Um, and, and we just partner together to support and service each other, create you know, resources, share resources, all that stuff. So, you know, not not necessarily a coach, but more of a community member. Okay, perfect. So let's start with a little bit of background. Tell our audience a little bit about the days you were a broker. What kind of a format did you guys have? Where was it in the country? And then we'll talk about what you do today and kind of see what your perspective about the usual questions we ask everybody. We ask about commissions and marketing and recruiting and so on. So give everybody a little bit of a background. Yeah. So my history, I came out of corporate America in 2003. It was the third time that I had been laid off from a middle or upper management position and decided that it was time to get into real estate. I am a statistical real estate agent in that I am one of the 87% that doesn't renew their license after in the first two years. Took me 18 months to get out of the business. And I, I knew within three months of getting out of real estate that I had made the bit, the worst decision professionally I, I ever could have. So exactly one year after I got out of real estate the first time, I relocated my family from Virginia Beach to Pensacola, and I relaunched my real estate career and have had quite a ride since. Been a single agent, been an operations manager, been a broker owner. I partnered with a, a very large mortgage company that's no longer in existence. We had a very unique brokerage platform that we unfortunately didn't get a lot of traction in based upon that, you know, circumstances of that story. But I've always worked alongside of very dynamic leaders. And so for the past five years, I've been working with brokers and owners to help them create, you know, Environments to where their agents can thrive, especially focusing on those those zero to twelve and twelve to twenty five transaction per year agents, those newer agents. Okay, awesome. So, so these are kind of the target audience for a lot of our brokers, the the, the brokers that are listening to this podcast that are part of the groups that we're are. So, let, let's talk about that demographic. Where do you find them? How can we recruit them? Where do you see the, the, the groups that you work with, what works for them in order to to identify and, and convince these brokers that it'll be better for them if they joined us? Yeah. So the first thing that I always look at when I am helping brokers recruit agents is the switch rate or when in the agent life cycle are they most likely to make a switch in, in their brokerage. And the first two metrics that I look at are the switch rate based upon their production. And so if you look at an agent's production, if they're producing less than a million dollars in annual production, they're at a very high 
switch risk, right? They are not making money. So they're looking for the next opportunity to go someplace. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, the next gap is right at that three to $4 million in production. When an agent hits that three or $4 million production, they've cut their teeth. They've got, they've kind of worn out the training component of a lot of organizations and now their switch risk goes up significantly because they're ready to figure out who's going to help me get to the next level. Mm-hmm. We see the same thing right at about the $12 million rate. So that's one time frame when you're looking at when to recruit agents, look at their production. More interestingly enough, though, is the length of time that they've had their license. And here's a statistic. It is very, very unlikely that an agent will move their license in their first year. They're going to stick with who they go the first time, typically for a year. When you hit year two, it is the exact opposite. Year two and year three are typically when agents are most likely to move their license because they've been through a year of their first experience and now they're looking for what's the next best thing. And so if I'm recruiting agents, I'm looking for agents in that two to three year time period that are hitting that three or four million dollar production level. And I'm starting to talk to them. Awesome. That, that's I, I think that's the first time we've looked at the data perspective of this. This is a great idea of how to target those agents. So I'm just going to repeat what you just last said. So we're looking at year two to three. And three to four million dollars in production. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those are real trend statistics. So I can certainly share with you the source of that information and data. And the switch risk actually doesn't taper off until about year eight. So anytime between that year four, year eight time frame, those agents are still looking because Mm -hmm. they're ready to settle into, okay, who's going to support my goals long haul? Yeah. That, that makes sense because after a few years in the business, you're either leaving, right? 87% in the first five years or you're transitioning to a broker position or you want to look for a forever, forever home yep. that kind of thing. So, so that makes total sense. So let's say I have that group, right? I went to my MLS, I went to broker matrix, I went to whatever it is and I found those group of individuals. I have their names, I have their emails, I have their phone numbers. Now what? How do I approach them? What works? What doesn't work? I know we tried emails. We tried letters. We tried Heiswire. Wise Hire. We tried Indeed. We tried all kinds of different things. So so what works out there? I guess that's what everybody's want to know. Well, I don't mean to be rude by answering a question with a question. And let me ask you a question. When you last brought on, think of the last five agents that joined your organization. Why did they join your organization? Was it because they sat down at a table in front of you and you said, hey, I'm a broker, and they said, okay, I'll sign? Or was there something else that happened? Well, it's a mix. Some of them were referrals, which is always an easier conversation to have. Mm -hmm. And some of them just reached out to us based on our presence out there and what we're doing. Right. And when you get a referral or they reach out to you, again, you just sit across the table and say, here's the contract. And they say, okay, I'll sign. No, uh, no. We're, we're, first of all, I'm trying to, me personally, 
Okay. And I know I might be doing it wrong. My me me personally, I try to scare them off first. Okay. I'm gonna tell them the truth, especially the newer ones. Yeah. I'm gonna tell them the truth. I'm gonna tell them it's gonna require hard work, it's gonna require prospecting. You will have to get on the phone calls or do any other type of prospecting activity, but you will have to do it. It's not as pretty as HGTV makes it look like. Um, and I see if they flinch or they don't, right? Yes. If if that gets them scared away, they're not gonna survive the business. I'm not gonna waste my time on them. And so um, would you say that in doing that, you are exposing them to your culture? That is absolutely true. That culture and when you ex- no sugarcoating. I'll tell no you sugarcoating. This is who we are. This is we're being, a. you know, my hat says be you, be real, right? Yeah. We are authentic. Okay. So you are exposing them to your culture. And the way that you're exposing them is that they are consuming something from you. In that particular example, it's a half an hour, 45 minute conversation, right? Yes. So once you identify your ideal target agent, then it is a point of giving them opportunities to consume what you as a brokerage have to offer. Mm -hmm. If you have trainings, give them the opportunity to consume a training class. Give them the opportunity to consume your Facebook group. Give them the opportunity to consume that video library on how to fill out chapter two of the contract or that social engagement, or give them opportunities to systematically let them consume your organization. Mm-hmm. Because if they've been in the business at two or three years, they've seen a couple of other companies, Yeah, right? They have an idea of what they're looking for, the vibe, the feel, the culture, the, the support, the fees, all of the things, right? So make it intentional to give them opportunities to consume who you are as an organization and the right people will gobble you up and ask when they can sign. That, that's a good idea. And yes, us personally, we put all of our agent training or most of our agent training online on our YouTube channel. You know, a lot of people go, well, why are you doing that? It's your secret sauce. Like we're not doing anything that's rocket science here. It's it's kind of like I'm I'm a big Tom Ferry fan. Everybody that listens to the podcast knows that already. R and D, rip off and duplicate. <laughs> Whatever I have, I didn't most of it. I didn't come up on my own. I look at what other brokers do, what works, what doesn't work. What Tom Ferry talks about on his podcast, Mike Ferry puts out on on his YouTube channel. All these things, I listen. I I figure out what is right for our culture, what is right for my agent. And that's what I train my agents about. And 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 we put it out there. Yes, absolutely. And and definitely that's a good point. So what do you see out there in terms of commission structures? Because those young agents, not all of them, but some of them are more kind of drawn recently towards the the fixed transaction fee and minimal service kind of thing. And I can tell you, my our recent recruit we just onboarded this week comes from a place like this into our world where we have our structure because his comment is, well, but they couldn't teach me anything. I wanted to do this and either they, they didn't know or they told me it's going to be 50% of my commission to have a mentor. And that mentor had a Google every time I had a question for him. So, so that's why he came on board to us is because he needed somebody to train him, coach him, mentor him, and so on. So, so that's what we see. But what, what do you see out there in terms of popular, if you want to call it, commission structures? 
So pop, it's very interesting because I have had hundreds of how to choose a brokerage conversations with agents at all different spectrums of their careers and at all different spectrums of their motivation in their lives. And what I have found is that the first thing that you have to segment that question into is the hobbyist and the career professional agent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when I say hobbyist, I do not necessarily mean dual career or part time. There are some dual career agents that are very professional dual career agents, whether they intend to transition or not. That's not the point. Mm-hmm. Right. When I say hobbyist, I say people that they may do a couple of transactions, they might do some investment things somewhere down the road. Chances are they're not going to need a whole lot of you because they're not going to want a whole lot of you because they're not going to do anything until they have the opportunity. And in which case you have to, you have to be ready to answer their questions that on demand support. Right. And so a lot of those types of agents are absolutely gravitating more towards the low recurring fee models. If, if somebody's charging them 30% commission and they're not doing any business, then they don't, they don't pay anything. Right. Yep. But if that same organization is charging them $120 a month in tech fees and operations fees and everything like that. That's what that hobbyist is looking like. Yeah. So it's a combination of, yeah, the, the, the trans, you know, the transaction fee versus those hobbyists are more looking for what's that, what's it monthly going to cost for me in order to keep my license going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the same time, I don't want to be the brokerage where people just hang their license at. Nobody does. Uh, we don't have desk fees or tech fees or, or monthly fees. We're, look, when you're Keller Williams and you got a quarter million agent, a hundred bucks a month is two point five million dollars a year, and a month, right? And it's awesome, and it's a business. But when I have six, seven, eight, ten, twenty agents, a hundred bucks a month is not going to make or break. So that's not something that I have right now on the radar. Maybe someday if we bring on board much more sophisticated and expensive systems. But for now, we don't charge for that. So one of the brokerages that I work with that has just a flat transaction fee, they don't have any monthly fee unless you haven't done business in the last six months. If you haven't had a transaction in the last six months, then there's a $50 a month fee. And again, not interested as a broker. I'm not interested in making 50 bucks a month. Exactly. I have a hundred of those that just hang the license with me. So for me, I'd rather just release those people and and not let just somebody hang their license with me. And that's the that's the position that he takes with that fifty dollar a month fee is that it's not a okay you can, it is a we expect you to be here to produce. And we are creating, they've got an amazing ecosystem to support that on demand. Hey, I haven't done anything in three months and I need help writing a contract thing. Right. And they've got that all built out to support those agents, but they expect a minimum level of production. And so if they go for a year, six months of which they're paying $50 penalty, then at that one year, then that's the conversation where are we really the right organization for you? Do we need to release you? Yeah, I would add a zero to it. Yeah. It's like make it hurt, right? Yes, absolutely. Make it hurt. And I am, I, I believe that the undereducated, the transaction-based real estate agent, those are the biggest threats to our industry, quite candidly. 
And so I believe that the a great way to get that 87% mark to improve is to make the barrier of entry and the barrier to maintain a bit higher so that we get the right people in business and we can actually pour into them. Well, that might actually come with the new class action lawsuit going on right now. We'll, we'll see, see how what that happens. Develops. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we might circle back to that one at the end. So in terms of part of the recruiting cycle and, and a lot of the trends out there right now is agents are looking to see who gives me leads, who gives me internet leads. And we looked at it and, and we still haven't found the right model uh, that we feel is worth it because the conversion rates on those is just horrendous. And if your agents are not doing their job well and following up, then even that is not going to happen. Even the horrendous conversion rates are not going to happen. So do you see any change in, because I've talked to a few brokers and a lot of them say, well, we used to buy leads from Sync or Sierra or, or this or that, Real Geeks. There's a million offerings like this out there. But they were so bad that we stopped. They were so bad that our agents stopped asking for them or asked that we stop doing that. So is there any, you have a little bit wider perspective of talking to multiple brokers. Do you see a change in this trend? Do you see people double down on these things? What What's the status with buying leads and, and providing them to the agents? I see it both. I see both sides of the pendulum, so to speak. So I see organizations that are very effective in budgeting a certain amount for leads that they generate for their for their agents. Some of them are, you know, team ridges or small, smaller brokerages. Some of them are, you know, funneling those leads towards specific groups of agents. Maybe people in a productivity coaching program or a mentorship program or things along those lines. So there is a great model and a large amount of success in the providing leads to your agents. And that is what a lot of agents want. And what I find is essential in that type of system, in that type of culture, is that there has to be a level of not only accountability for conversion, which you have to almost anticipate it as a lease lotter, lease a loss leader, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. Yet also, what else are you doing? Are you going down the are you going down the you know the career path the 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 productivity path? What system are you using to get yourself sustainable, mm-hmm. right? So they get the leads if they do the training and 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 the mentoring and the coaching type of situation. That's where I see as the best way to. And then if you don't want the leads, then that's fine. Disengage from the development and good luck. Go do what you can do. Mm-hmm. The other model that I personally like is teach the agents how to go out and get their own free leads. And so let's think about some of the lead generation that focus mainly on listings that, you know, they don't charge the agents anything until there's a closing. Now, yes, they might charge 30% at closing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that might be an effective 50-50 split for your agent. Guess what? That's 50% of something. And if you're taking that listing opportunity and you're getting 50% off that listing opportunity, well, that's okay because you should be getting 100% of two or three other transactions that you spin off of that listing. 
Yes. And so that's giving the agent the tools and the resources to go out and find their own, I'm, I just need something business, but then use those opportunities to spin off additional business for themselves. So do you know of any of those programs that you would recommend, like specific names? So I have access to a training class that has several of those. I don't know those off of the top of my head because they change quite frequently, but I would be happy to, to introduce you to one of my colleagues, Devin, who is a master at online lead generation. He does quite a bit of, you know, quite a bit of research and actually uses at the brokerage level quite a few online lead generation systems. He could give you a, a great review. Okay. Yeah. And and that's really where we get maybe three, four phone calls a day from those services and we can help you. And we only charge it closing and there's only 300, $400, $500 setup fee. Mm -hmm. And it's like, for me, it's a no brainer. Yeah, sure. 300 bucks and you charge me a closing that, that, that works, but it falls apart when I say, do you have a couple of other brokers names I can talk to that have been using you? And then they all start stuttering and they all refuse to give you names. Mm -hmm. And it's like, for me, if you can't back up your service with a testimonial, then I don't trust you. Yeah. That's yeah, no. yeah. The, the, the resources that Devin has extensive knowledge about are all tried and tested and, and, you know, we can certainly get you that, get your, get the entire group access to that information. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll appreciate the introduction and I'll reach out to him. And if it's something that like a resource, a page or a, a document, we'll share it on the show notes of this thing. And if it spins off into a separate episode, then then we'll have him on the show and, and we'll talk to him on that specific, because I think that is something definitely some, some, some of our audience would appreciate a lot. We'll, we'll make it happen. Awesome. So let's talk about brand level marketing right so, so there's marketing for leads facebook pay-per-click and so on but there's also what we as small brokers can do in order to build our brand mm -hmm. and you know i was saying multiple times before it's like 12 years ago 14 years ago you were driving around neighborhoods it was keller williams ebby holiday remax and then that's about it and and if you're up north in century 21 now I drive around neighborhoods and I can barely see the big names, tons of independent brokers or teams where like there's like a Keller Williams on the corner bottom of, of the sign, but they brand the team. They don't brand Keller Williams anymore. So what do you see as effective in, in helping an independent broker build their brand? So... The first question that I would ask is, is this a brand for buyers and sellers or is this a brand for agents? Well, considering the fact that over 80% of sellers don't even remember the brand of who was the agent, I would say for the brokers, for the agents and themselves. Yeah. So then the first step is obviously to define your brand. One of the exercises that I take brokers through and, and I oftentimes involve their entire leadership team is an exercise called building your manifesto. Mm -hmm. And it is a three-step exercise to where at the end, you have some very powerful statements about what you stand for, who you are, what you are passionate about. 
And so when you can identify and clearly articulate exactly what your brand is, then from that point, it is consumption. It is giving people the opportunity to experience your brand. So if your brand is behavior training-based, then it's training-based. If your brand is event-based, you know, I've got a, a, a brokerage that I work with that they, they, their entire business model is events. Like I'm talking, they, they're in Oklahoma City and they sponsor the 4th of July fireworks for Oklahoma City. They do events at a huge level. All of their agents know that their company, all of their agents invite all of their clients to these events because they do these big events, right? Everybody in town knows that this particular organization does these events. That's their entire brand. They love having fun. And it, it's, it's spectacular. It's amazing how well it works. They draw the right people. So when you articulate exactly who your brand is, what your value is, what you stand for, then get loud about it. Go do those things. If you're philanthropic, then go volunteer. If you're, you know, whatever the, whatever the it is, if you're a, a, a brokerage of dog lovers, then go hang out at the dog park. Just, you know, be able to articulate that and then tell your story. And that's to attract the agents, right? Now, mm -hmm. what I see is exactly what you experience. No longer the buying and selling public typically drawn to the balloon or the, the, the jacket or, or whatever else, right? Yeah. It's, it's either who they can get in touch with the quickest on the internet or who they've got a relationship with that hopefully has been cultivated over time. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes absolutely sense. Any special reference to social media on that matter? One channel that works better than another? Beyond social media, I, you know, most of my familiarity is with Facebook because it gives you a different way to reach all different segments or all different, you know, types of people. And, you know, I mean, of course, video is, you know, from an algorithm perspective and all the things it is not only technically speaking better yet it also gives people the opportunity to consume more of you mm -hmm. who are you authentically you know they hear your voice they hear the energy behind what you say and they pick up on those things the right people will gravitate towards that the wrong people we don't need to be in business with them it's just that simple yeah. and so absolutely use social media but use it smart you know it's not just about your business it's not just about how many you know, transactions or how many closings or whose birthday it is. It's about who are you as an organization? Who are you as a brand and what do you stand for? Yeah, absolutely makes sense. So let's do a quick gear change and talk a little bit about technology. Everybody needs a CRM. Everybody needs a, a transaction coordination. What do you see out there that is working? What's not working? What's dominating? What's new and upcoming? Anything that's technology related that, that might be interesting to our audience? Not my strong suit, quite candidly. I know that there are, you know, the, the biggest thing that I say about technology is number one, service your need now and then stop there, right? Don't over, you can, you can bells and whistles, everything to death and you can over complicate and over equip your agents based upon where their service level or needs are 
right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, know your agents, understand your, 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 your particular ideal agent avatar, and then identify the technology stack that you need in order to support them with regards to different, you know, I, I mean, I, I've got one broker partner that uses Sierra amazing or, you know, amazing system. He's been on it for years and years, and they probably use 40 or 50% of its capabilities mm -hmm. just because the capabilities are so broad and so vast. Yeah. And that's, an, you know, that's another thing that I would say about technology is that oftentimes brokers think about how they were successful and what they used and what their path to success are. And a lot of times brokers don't hire clones of them as all of their agents. So understand what your agents need, understand, you know, how easy is it to implement or, or onboard somebody into your technology and then stop there. Okay. That, that makes fair point. So in your opinion, from being one and from talking to a lot of these, what's the hardest thing in being an independent broker? Transitioning from doer to leader. Okay. A, a lot of independent brokers have got, ha, have come from high levels of success, personal production, and things of that nature. They've been in the trenches. They've grounded out. They've they've moved to that level. And when you move to the leadership level, I'm of the philosophy that there are only two roles in any sales or service organization. You either serve the the buyers or sellers, or you serve somebody that does. And so as a leader, our number one responsibility is to serve our agents mm -hmm. and all of our staff need to serve our agents. And so how do we serve our agents best? It's not being in production. So number one, get yourself out of production as quickly as you can so that you can serve your agents. And then number two, it's typically not training, right? Serving your agents means understanding what your agents need, both at the group and individual level and then creating paths for them to follow to make improvements on their business. And so when we talk about production with regards to real estate agents, it's training, it's coaching, and it's understanding the numbers of the business. If you nail those three things, then you will get your agents into production and production solves a whole bunch of problems. That is true. <laughs> when your agents are in production, growth is a lot easier, retention's a lot easier, and that profitability that obviously happens. Yeah. Of course. So yeah, get in, get out of the self-production stage of, of real estate and into the leadership and getting others into production business, invest in your people or somebody else will. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a fine line to walk stepping out of production, especially at the beginning as an independent broker, as you're building your practice, but it's something that I personally believe the same as you that our job is to step out of production mm -hmm. and not stay in production. And, but every once in a while, I'll talk to a broker that says, no, I love doing this thing. I don't want to stop producing. And, and, you know, that's a personal choice, but I, I think that I don't know how sustainable it is to be a broker and still compete with your agents on the same level. Yeah. yeah. And above and beyond the competition factor, it's just quite simply the service, the time. you know, the amount of one-on-one -on -one conversations that you can have with your agents in the time frame that you would service one buyer from first conversation to closing, 
I mean, you could probably touch a good percentage of your roster in the time frame that it takes you to just do the showings, yeah. right? And so in reinvesting that time, and, you know, the best case scenario, quite candidly, is that brokers have their teams and their teams maintain, you know, maintain the business. They continue on with the real estate business and the broker has some of their compensation coming from, you know, from their cut of the team. But the reality is that the vast majority of the profitability is going to come by getting those agents into stable production. Mm-hmm. And that's success through others, which is which is what I love to do. Yeah. And and it, that I call it scalability, right? You yeah. call it success through others, but it is just about scalability. There's so much we can do in personal production time-wise without needing help. And whether you call it a team or you call it brokerage, it's still you need more people to scale. Yep. So let's flip that coin. What's the hardest thing about being an independent broker? What are you doing? Yeah. Oh man, it's time. It's managing the competing priorities. It's identifying leverage. A lot of brokers, especially in their first several years of running a brokerage, and I mean, some of them even into multiple, multiple years, delegation and leverage is just not something that they're used to doing. And that's, that's absolutely critical. You know, your organization is going to grow based upon how much leverage you can incorporate into it. And so, you know, freeing up your time to make the big level decisions for somebody else to implement and then invest in your people. That's where that's, you know, that's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. Mentioning Tom Ferry again, he always says, what got you here is not going to get you there. And it's especially right for brokers is what got you to be a successful production agent is not what's going to make you a successful broker. It's two I, different skill sets. It's it's a mindset change. It's a lot of different path to walk. And, and those that don't do that are not going to survive the, the business. Yeah, I would go a step further and to say that it's almost you're destined for failure if you don't embrace the fact that what got you through being a real estate agent successfully is not going to it's not going to translate into success as a broker yeah and so learn those skills there you know it's awareness it's development you know and and you know there aren't a lot of people that just one day made the switch from salesperson to broker and you know changed the hats and changed the name on the card and and continued forward you know, most of them had mentors and coaches and partners and all of the people to help them along the way. Yeah, it's definitely a learning curve. Um, so I, I want to touch back to something we talked about earlier. I would love to hear your take on the class action lawsuit. So for those of you in the audience that somehow managed not to hear about that, there is a billion dollar class action lawsuit against NAR and the big brokers, Keller Williams, Remax, I think EXP is part of that mess as well. And it, it's without getting to too much legal details, it's about how commissions are being split between seller's agent and a broker's agent. And with the premise of the seller should not be paying for the buyer's agent. So where it's going to land is, is really a guess right now for everybody involved. It can be as simple as just add another disclosure to the million disclosure pages we already put in place, or it can be as bad as 
no more no more commission split and buyers have to secure buyers agent will have to secure the commission from their buyers what do you see brokers talk about that if at all what do you what is your take on this thing I'd love to hear your opinion so it is not typically a topic of conversation the reality is that most broker owners are much more focused on trying to transition through the last six months the first three months of this year were horrific for a lot of broker owners and, and indie broker owners just because of the instability of the market and the dip in buying in the in the end of last year. And then a lot of markets are kind of seeing a, a pretty big surge right now. Yeah. So personally, I would I think the transparency solves the issue. I think that if everybody understands exactly how things are being handled, what you know who's paying what and where's it going, then, you know, I, I, I would hope that that would be enough above and beyond that. It's, it's, it's going to be a wait and see. I, I've been, you know, I've been in the business since 2003, this conversations come up in a number of different ways, so many different times. And it's just kind of, I've gotten to the point to where it's, you know, yeah, I, that's about the best that I've got for you, Joseph. <laughs> I got you. That's okay. I can tell you that as a broker, I do want to take some actions, right? So I started today, we had a training session and I started talking to the agents about that. One, almost none of them was even aware this is going on. So, so making your agents aware, I think is important. Two, I think that we're in a weird spot where being a buyer's agent can be as simple as getting a phone call. I saw this property online. I want to go see it. You go, you open the door and they say, let's put an offer. And then within about 40 minutes combined worth of work, you get a buyer's commission. I wish all of them were like that, but that doesn't happen very often, but it could happen. And mentally, a lot of our buyer clients have a lot less appreciation for the work the buyer's agent is doing because of that. And for me, it's not because my agents are not working hard when they're representing the buyers. It's because they don't have good enough transparency to their client in showing them the value they really do bring. Okay. And so I work with them and I train to show the value. Yeah. Send them a weekly report. We've looked at this many things. We went to this many show and we wrote that many offers. Just help them see what you do behind the scenes that they don't see. So I am very passionate about where you, that aspect of the conversation. And I have a three-hour continuing education class in Florida on the buyer broke the buyer consultation and am 100 i work with a in a lot of different states that have a lot of different rules and one thing that i believe is that sh there should be clarity with regards to the level of representation that buyers get from the agent that's serving them mm -hmm. in florida you're either a single agent or a transaction broker but you're assumed to be a transaction broker unless otherwise indicated in writing I believe that that is a disservice to the buyer because I 100% believe that in some situations, exactly what you said happened, happened. 
I got a call. They wanted to see a property. We wrote an offer on the kitchen counter. It got accepted. I handed it off to my transaction coordinator. I am in it for an hour of my time. I see one. I see that happen. And the person that's not being served in that scenario is the buyer. They're not being represented from a fiduciary. They're probably not even being told that they have the option to be represented in a fiduciary relationship. And that is where I see the disservice. Mm -hmm. So if we get, if we teach our agents to do a buyer consultation, to explain the representation options that buyers have in many states, and to get the buyer to commit one way or the other as to exactly how they are being represented, then if the seller is being represented by a fiduciary and the buyer is being represented by a fiduciary, then who cares where the money shows up on? I mean, it's it, it, it it's a seller concession or it's a commission to the buyer's agent. Who cares? Well, it's always the buyers that pay for it. Mm -hmm. Whatever the paper says it is, it's always the buyers that pay for it. And that's another thing that you gotta, you can train your buyers to understand. It's like, look, the owner wants to walk away with a hundred thousand and the broker or brokers are gonna cost six percent. Then he's going to put it on the market for 106. Whether you like it or not, the buyer is going to pay for it. All right. Just because the paper says it, it the, the seller says for it, it means nothing. Right. Uh, yeah, the so, buyer is the one that pays the, the, the sale price. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. So so that that's kind of like where it goes. So I appreciate your time, Brent. You've been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Now, if our listeners want to reach out, maybe set up a, a, a consultation or maybe just brainstorm about something, how can they reach you? And we'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Oh, I would love it. My email address is Brent, B-R-E-N-T, at T-L-R-Nation.com. And an email would be great. Or you can send me a text or even give me a call. My my work phone number is 262-423-7626. Now, typically, a text message is going to be a little bit quicker of a response just because of the nature of what I do every day. But I would love to I, I love to talk about real estate. I love to share the experiences. And I we also have some master classes that we provide to real estate brokers, not only for them, but for their agents as well. I'd love to chat about some of those opportunities. Awesome. Great. We'll make sure to put everything in the show notes. Brent, thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Joseph. Awesome. And for you, the listeners, if you want to listen or watch more of those videos, please subscribe on our YouTube channel or on iTunes, Stitchers, Amazon, podcast, anywhere you can consume your podcast. We're over there. Thank you. And we'll see you on the next one. That was awesome. I learned something new. I hope you did too. And if you want to learn more from our experts, please subscribe to the channel and share with your friends.